Hey guys, it's Jen and welcome to The Lawyer's Daughter. It is Friday the 12th and this might be a weird short podcast, I'm not sure, but I just needed to talk to you. It is Friday afternoon. I spent the evening last night with uh, Chris and Gay, two of the rape survivors from the case, and we're all having a really hard time. And I, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that I one of my most important things about this podcast is I want to share with you the feelings and the thoughts that go on when you're part of something like this because I think this is unique to be part of a um, part of a crime that's this big, which is still sometimes I think I don't even my brain doesn't even grasp it. But there, but um, there's so much happening, and some I can't talk about. But there's a lot going on, and it is it has been a really tough couple of weeks. And for those reasons, I've been I've had a hard time con, um, collecting my thoughts. I've had a hard time managing my feelings. It turns out I'm not alone. That's one of the reasons we got together last night. Is we're just really struggling. There is a lot happening as we prepare for the hearing on the 29th, which is in a couple weeks. So for those of you that haven't caught up, we we have a hearing pending. Finally, finally, this was the hearing that was supposed to be April 29th. Now it's going down on June 29th, which is great. Finally, we're getting somewhere, starting to move again. If you recall, we were supposed to be in court for the preliminary hearing or the pretrial, as I like to call it mini trial, whatever you want to call it, that was supposed to be on May 14th. Well, of course, because of the pandemic, we blew through both of those dates with basically no action. And that has been hard. It's been really hard because if you can imagine, it's you, you work up a lot of energy. I, I didn't get so worried about the hearing on the 29th, the one in April. That was going to be um, the demure and the motion to dismiss. So, and I'm still, I promise, I'm still going to go through those two things because I think just factually they're very interesting and I will be doing that. I've got to, it's just been hard to focus, but I've got to get my brain around that and hopefully I can get those recorded this weekend so that um, everybody's up to speed on where we are and what those motions look like. But more importantly, just if you think of the layers of what's been happening and God love 2020 for just hitting us with a two by four, but putting off the hearing, the, the, the preliminary trial is the one I'm really, the, that's been the most disheartening because we had, we prepared for that. And what I mean is it takes a lot of emotional mm, fortitude. That's probably the word, emotional fortitude to prepare for these kind of things. For me, it means I'm not living at my home. So that's weird. I'm up here at Katie's and um, while it's been lovely, and I do actually really enjoy being in Sacramento, and we're in Midtown, so it's been great. But of course, we've had looters. And the protests, I'm all for. I happen to be a supporter of the protests and the Black Lives Matter. But the looters have been um, terrifying, I mean, and, and upsetting, really upsetting. Our backyard backs up to where the old Tower Records used to be, if you know where that area is off of Broadway, or on Broadway. And the looters ravaged this section of Broadway. So that was distressing. And then you add the pandemic, so we're not going out, so I'm sheltering here as well. So that's always this constant fear, and it's absolutely changed my habits. Um, Also, I'm unemployed, so there's that. I mean, there's just a lot going on. So to get ready for what, to get ready for, and all these things have happened because I've been trying to manage my life around the, the preliminary hearing. 
because I wanted to be available to go to that. I don't even know the trial miles away, right? The trial is way off, but this preliminary hearing is a big deal. So when it got delayed, it's just one more way life is turned upside down in 2020. And, and um, it means that you're left with this constant feeling of, um, of the unknown. Like we're just hanging here, hanging here, hanging here. In the meantime, on top of everything else, then you add the HBO stuff. And, and I have talked about it before, but what I didn't realize, and it's my own ignorance, that it would, have, um, it would also be the story of Michelle McNamara. I actually feel a lot better about that now than I did a couple of weeks ago. I had a really good talk, of all things, with Paul Haynes, who's agreed to come on the podcast in a couple weeks, as soon as the HBO special comes out. But Paul was the one of the co-authors, I don't know if that's the right word, uh, co-authors on the I'll Be Gone in the Dark book. And he um, is really an awesome man. We had a really good talk, and he he's previewed the HBO special already. And so he calmed me down a lot. I have to say, he said the the number one thing he said about it is it was done in a way that's very loving, which is a really interesting way to describe a documentary is to describe it as loving. But I have to say his his reassurance, and of course I haven't seen it yet, but his reassurance was um, was everything, honestly. It was just everything. Um, but also the feelings of realizing, you know, we've got a, a white cop who killed my dad and Charlene, a white effing cop. Um, and he used those, you know, he may not have been a cop for very long, but he clearly went to be a cop to get skills that he used. I mean, shining the flashlight in people's eyes so that they were blinded when he came in for the attack, knowing how to tie people up, knowing about all the areas of ingress and egress so that he could get in and out really well. Him thinking that he was Mr. You know, Agile MacGyver guy who could get away with everything. The idea that we're coming up against a cop in this in this. Um, context in this uh, in this moment in America has me screaming no justice no peace like just in my head so often and as I think about justice there's there's just no way to describe what justice is for someone like this and we're talking about all of Visalia Sacramento Concord uh, Tulare County, uh, uh, Tulare County is Visalia, but I mean, he, this guy was everywhere and he did so much. And frankly, he sucked up so many resources. One human being has managed to cost this state before trial, by the way, just, I'm just saying before the trial, he has managed to cost the state so much money. And okay, so that's Jen being um, big picture, meta, thinking about the big picture. But then I, I think about my own feelings and, you know, I'm really starting to understand the impact he's had on my family, which is, you know, we've got, sorry, I'm trying not to cry, but that's four decades. And I'm really beginning to understand because as the pressure mounts, as we get closer to a court date, especially as we're getting closer to court dates that are going to have real meaning, like a pretrial, um, I've really looked at what it's done to my own family and how we relate to one another and how me being the big sister, sorry, me being the big sister has really put a lot of responsibility on me from the second it happened in March of 1980 until now. <clears throat> I'm sorry, didn't expect this. But again, I wanted to share with you guys the feelings. But 
because I'm the big sister, I've often taken the lead in these things. Clearly, you guys know that. My brothers don't want to talk about this, and they aren't the only men that don't want to talk about this. Um, in in you know, one of the, the one of the most amazing things about having a group of survivors, which again, I think this has really been a unique circumstance because we've come together and we talk to one another, but the, they're not the only men who don't want to talk about it. The men really have a hard time. And so I'm, I'm interestingly coming to terms with this in terms of what it did with our family and how it kind of cleaved, meaning separated us um, from one another in a really weird way. Because of a because of the tragedy of because of this tragedy, it's not tragedy. I hate saying the word tragedy because tragedy is something that happens that isn't expected. This this was intentional. This was a murder, and it really did have an impact on our family. I just hadn't really thought about it until recently. I, I think until talking to the other women and understanding what it's done to them. Uh, I was with uh, I think I said I was with Chris and Gay last night. You know, Chris was just an itty bitty little thing, 15 years old, super innocent. And in some ways, her innocence is something she clung to, to help her protect herself. And then you have Gay, who is in San Joaquin County and has literally been treated like shit by her district attorney and the law enforcement people there in that area, in that, in her county. They've just, they've just been jerks, real jerks, and have and have not honored her at all throughout this and play games like, well, we didn't want to upset you. You know how you upset a victim is you don't tell them the truth. You know how you upset a victim is when you don't show that you are advocating for them and whatever that is. It doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, there none of us are expecting perfect answers, but we do expect to hear the truth and we do expect advocacy, meaning that you care that someone was harmed. And that you don't do more harm. God dang, if there was a, you know, it's time for the for law enforcement to adopt the same mantra that the that medical field adopts, which is first do no harm. If everybody and the whole damn planet would just absorb that and make that their mantra. I have I have a big mantra in my life, but I'm now I'm really thinking about this do no harm, first do no harm. My mantra in my whole life has been help others be successful. That's the thing I wake up in the morning and what I go to bed at night. It's how I think about kids. It's how I think about my friends. It's how I think about my employees and people I work with. Help others be successful. That means you have to listen. Oh, I'm going to get on a soapbox now, I can tell. But I mean, it just means seeing people for who they are and listening to them. And that means victims. That means the person at the Macy's counter with you. That means um, the the person whose car broke down. It means whatever, wherever you are, see them See them for as an individual with their own story, and you're never going to know their story. That's not your job, but it is your job to help them be successful and do no harm. Sorry. Okay, soapbox. Put it back under my chair now. So, the the layer the the confluence of finally being able to go back to court, and then having HBO come out and us not knowing how it's going to go and just seeing promos, which is. I, I certainly did not. Here's a marketing person sitting here in this chair and did not anticipate the impact of those promotions and how that would feel. And then watching that there, you know, I've really decided there's two types of true crime folks out there and, and, and I might be full of shit, so let me know. But I feel like there's the people who care, who, who are invested in true crime because 
they've had an experience or they know someone and it's a way to kind of manage your own trauma, right? What do we do when, when there's something that has harmed us? Sometimes we try to go become proficient at it because then we, once we have a mastery of it, it makes us feel more in control. So there's those kind of true crime people out there. And I'm not saying you have to have experienced true crime to be to be compassionate, but there are people who are very, that seek true crime because they want to understand. And it's really a genuine intellectual curiosity and emotional curiosity. And then there's people who follow true crime because they see it as entertainment. And I think that's the part I'm struggling with a lot right now, because when I see people kind of squeal about the HBO thing coming out, it's tough. And today, today, and I don't know if I'm making a mistake by promoting this, but today I found out D'Angelo's wife, Sharon Huddle, her brother has written a book. It appears to be self-published for what's on Amazon. His name is James Huddle. Won't hide it. And, you know, y'all can do what you want to do. But he's got a book coming out. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I believe the premise is that they didn't know anything about D'Angelo. Well, Let's see. I, I, he is cordially invited to join me on this podcast. I'm actually pursuing that. I'm having a hard time with the premise. I understand his kids wouldn't know. Of course not. I, I mean, just, and if they did, I, I, oh my God, if any of them even suspected, I can't even imagine. Like my heart goes out to them, but I'm, I'm struggling that Sharon didn't know. I'm I'm struggling. Now, the guy who wrote the book, he may not have known. That's Sharon's brother. From everything I understand, Sharon is um, different than the rest of us. Let's just, that's enough probably of a characterization. But, um, so his book's coming out. So there's this, there's so many people. Oh, her. Here's another soapbox issue. There's so many people making money off of this. I'm not naive. I'm in America. I get it. That's how we work. We make money off of stuff. It's just ironic that the people not making any money are all the survivors. I, uh, Like I said, there was a um, nice thing that I'm not allowed to say what it was, but a nice thing HBO did. It was nice. It was fine. Think of it like what you might get if you did a piece of day work for someone. Um, that's about all I can say about that. But nobody, none of the survivors that I know of, other than maybe Jane and her book, Jane Carson and her book, but I don't really consider that making money. I consider that healing and what she was doing to um, move things forward. So I'm sitting here in this hot mess and I'm not alone. A lot of us are feeling like we're in this hot mess of all of these ridiculous feelings and they're they're uh, they're random and what what we talked about last night and this I'll share this because if you're going through trauma I think this is a really important validation and, and actually validated each other we, we go through these it's like being um, what I imagine maybe being uh, bipolar feels like it, it, to and again not to the extent that a person who's clinically bipolar feels like, but the idea that one day you're up and you're like, I, I, man, I recorded a podcast for the Life Coach Pod, my other podcast, with a woman uh, the other day about reclaiming your soul. It was so good. It, all the podcasts have been amazing on that. It, that is a life-affirming podcast that I'm doing on the on in my other life where I'm really trying to focus on how to be life-affirming. This woman, Lori Santos, we talked about reclaiming her soul. It, it, that day, I was on fire. I was pretty 
productive. I was delightful. I was, I, I just was, I, I cleaned house, like the whole thing. She, that was such a good day. And then the next day, um, something came out. I think it was another promo from HBO and it said something like, and, and I'm going to get this wrong, but it was something like so many crimes and only one woman pursuing the truth. That was the stupid ad copy. And I'm aware, fully aware it was ad copy. And I'm fully aware in ad copy because I write it for my job that it's hyperbole. It's just a way to create the sexy, right? That's what you got to do. You got to write ad copy that gets people to click or to care or to whatever. But man, did it hit me wrong to think that there, you know, all these crimes and only one, are you kidding? Only one woman? Are you kidding me? And I know I could share this with you guys because you know it's hyperbole and you know exactly what I mean. It's just, it's just I'm mostly sharing because this is how stuff hits you when you're this vulnerable. And that day was bad. I in the days, the thing that's unbelievable, and, and again, I'm sharing this for anybody who's been through trauma, because now you can know you're not alone. It's like I couldn't even keep track of time. Suddenly, time had passed, and I don't even know why the time passed. I don't even know what I was doing when the time passed. It's just all of a sudden, time was gone, and I was unproductive, and I and I wasn't like crying or anything. I don't spend a lot of time crying. It's more like um, there's a great word to describe a hummingbird. This is how hummingbirds rest. They do something called, and even as I say this, I can see my baby birds right now who are on day eight, sticking their little heads up. They're so damn cute. Um, it's right by my hummingbird feeder, but hummingbirds go through something called a torpor. And if you go look up the word torpor, it's really this kind of catatonic state of rest. And I have been, I sometimes go into this torpor and I suddenly look up and go, oh my God, it's six o'clock. Like it's almost time to feed the cats. They get soft food at night. And I go, what the hell? How is it six o'clock? How did I get here? How did this day go by? And I'm not even aware of time passing. But that's of course what happens when you've been traumatized, right? And especially as we're dealing with, you know, once again, a hearing coming up, but there's just so much. I think it's just because it's so much. It's books and HBO and, and you know, trials and people making assertions and the media and all of this and money and just there's so many variables happening right now, but it, you, you fall into these torpors and you don't even know that time has passed. You may or may not have showered. You may or may not have even gotten dressed. So, so that's so anyone who's been going through trauma and that's really who this podcast is for today. I just wanted to share this with you real time how hard this is. How hard it is to get up, how hard it is to articulate your feelings and absolutely what we all concluded last night and there wasn't excessive drinking because I had to drive my car. There was no excessive anything other than excessive feelings. We really we we as women and I cannot speak for men of course although Chris's husband was there and I love him. Um, we as women really benefit from talking because first you get the validation that you're not alone, that other people are feeling weird, like we're just doing weird crap and that this torpor thing is real and that good days and bad days are real. Like, oh my God, it's so real and that it's all okay. Because honestly, when it's all said and done, we still know we're good people. We still know we really, well, at least the three of us women, we want to do whatever we can to help others 
through this kind of journey, even if it's just listening, even if it's just validating, and that we will, again, like every other time, we will endure. We will get through this. And I cannot emphasize enough, if you've been through something, if you're struggling, talk about it. And if you can't talk about it, I will say it over and over again, write about it, draw it, whatever your form of expression is, make a quilt about it, but somehow tell the story. Get your story out there in whatever way feels, excuse me, whatever way feels comfortable to you. Please don't just hold it all inside. The number one thing I've seen is the people that hold it inside, and that includes my adorable brothers who I love with all my heart. But when you keep it inside, it just is like a cancer. And it's it's not it's not helping you. You have to let it out so it can't so that toxin can't stay inside. You have to let it out. So it's a short pod today, but I, I haven't I haven't had a chance to talk to you in a while. Not personally about what's going on, but I wanted to just take a moment and do this and check in. I'm going to get to the motions this weekend. I promise. That is my promise, unless the torpor hits, but I don't think it will. I feel like I'm in a good place now. I need one good night's sleep so because this is going to be hard to talk about the motions. I actually have to do homework and make sure that I tell you guys what's true and that I don't have the facts screwed up. So I want to make sure that I am diligent in my presentation. Ooh, and I also have another cool interview coming up with um, a woman I call Deep Throat. And you have to go back in time, and I'll talk more about it when we set up the interview, but I'm going to be interviewing her this weekend. And she's had an interesting role in this case. And I can't wait to share that with you, but I will not be revealing her identity. Um, And the reason I call her Deep Throat for all of you that are too young to know is that that's what um, in the Nixon era, um, when uh, Woodward and Bernstein wrote their book, they had a source and his name was Deep Throat. Later, we finally found out who it was, but it was somebody who knew what was happening was so wrong and they used the uh, journalist, the journalist, to help him get the stories out so that we could understand the level of corruption. Well, I call my person Deep Throat because she similarly has had access to information that starts to reveal what's really going on, and it's been vital. And so she's going to come on. I think I'm going to record it tomorrow, so hopefully I'll have this out tomorrow night. She's going to talk about. Um, what she's done and how you can use some of the the tools that she's used. I told her I really want her to talk about the tools that she's used. So anybody else out there with a cold case or with a case that they're trying to, um, that you are trying to pursue could benefit from her experience. So I'm really excited about that interview coming up. And then of course, like I said, I'll have Paul. There's some other people I've got lined up. I just, it's just right now um, a bunch of logistics which is um, very human, right? Logistics. Okay, I actually feel better now that, I've, now that I've done this. Isn't that funny? That's how it works. So this is, I'm going to hopefully modeling for you how to, um, how to deal with your trauma. And I, I really, really appreciate you listening. I appreciate you subscribing and sharing this with others. Um, it means a lot to me, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. Have a good day.